Section three of the Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens, chapters five and six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter five. This was the appearance of Mary Make Believe at that time. She had fair hair, and it was very soft and very thick. When she unwound this, it fell, or rather flowed, down to her waist, and when she walked about the room with her hair unloosed, it curved beautifully about her head, snuggled into the hollow of her neck, ruffled out broadly again upon her shoulders, and swung into and out of her figure with every motion, surging and shrinking and dancing. The ends of her hair were soft and loose as foam, and it had the color and shining of pure light gold. Commonly in the house she wore her hair loose, because her mother liked the appearance of youth imparted by hanging hair, and would often desire her daughter to leave off her outer skirt and walk only in her petticoats to heighten the illusion of girlishness. Her head was shaped very tenderly and softly. It was so small that when her hair was twisted up it seemed much too delicate to bear so great a burden." Her eyes were gray, limpidly tender and shy, drooping under weighty lids, so that they seldom seemed more than half opened, and commonly sought the ground rather than the bolder excursions of straightforwardness. They seldom looked for longer than a glance, climbing and poising and eddying about the person at whom she gazed, and then dived away again. And always when she looked at any one, she smiled a deprecation of her boldness. She had a small white face, very like her mother's in some ways and at some angles, but the tight beak which was her mother's nose was absent in Mary. Her nose withdrew timidly in the center and only snatched a hurried courage to become visible at the tip. It was a nose which seemed to have been snubbed almost out of existence. Her mother loved it because it was so little and had tried so hard not to be a nose at all. They often stood together before the little glass that had a great crack running drunkenly from the right-hand top corner down to the left-hand bottom corner, and two small arm crosses, one a little above the other, in the center. When one's face looked into this glass, it often appeared there as four faces with horrible aberrations. An ear might be curved around a lip, or an, or an eye leering strangely in the middle of a chin. But there were ways of looking into the glass which practice had discovered and usage had long ago dulled the terrors of its vagaries. Looking into this glass, Mrs. Make-Believe would comment minutely upon the two faces therein, and pointing to her own triumphantly genuine nose and the fact that her husband's nose had been of quite discernible proportions, she would seek in labyrinths of pedigree for a reason to justify her daughter's lack. She passed all her sisters in this review, with an army of aunts and great-aunts rifling the tombs of grandparents and their remoter blood, and making long dead noses to live again. Mary Make-Believe used to lift her timidly curious eye and smile in deprecation of her nasal shortcomings, and then her mother would kiss the dejected button and vow it was the dearest, loveliest bit of a nose that had ever been seen. Big noses suit some people, said Mrs. Make-Believe, but they do not suit others, and one would not suit you, dearie. 
they go well with black-haired people and very tall people military gentlemen judges and apothecaries but small fair folk cannot support great noses i like my own nose she continued at school when i was a little girl the other girls used to laugh at my nose but i always liked it and after a time other people came to like it also mary make-believe had small slim hands and feet the palms of her hands were softer than anything in the world there were five little pink cushions on her palm beginning at the little finger there was a very tiny cushion the next one was bigger and the next bigger again until the largest ended a perfect harmony at the base of her thumb her mother used to kiss these little cushions at times holding back the finger belonging to each and naming it as she touched it these are the names of Mary Make-Believe's fingers, beginning with the thumb. Tom Thumbkins, Willie Winkles, Long Daniel, Bessie Bobtail, and Little Dick Dick. Her slight girlish figure was only beginning to creep to the deeper contours of womanhood, a half-curve here and there, a sudden softness in the youthful lines, certain angles trembling on the slightest of rolls, a hint a suggestion the shadowy prophecy of circles and half-hoops that could not yet roll the trip of her movements was troubled sometimes to a sedater motion these things her mother's curiosity was continually recording sometimes with happy pride but oftener in a kind of anger to find that her little girl was becoming a big girl if it had been possible she would have detained her daughter for ever in the physique of a child she feared the time when mary would become too evidently a woman when all kinds of equalities would come to hinder her spontaneous and active affection a woman might object to be nursed while a girl would not mrs make-believe feared that objection and indeed mary under the stimulus of an awakening body and a new strange warmth was not altogether satisfied by being nursed or by being the passive participant in these caresses she sometimes thought that she would like to take her mother on her own breast and rock her to and fro crooning soft made-up words and kissing the top of a head or a half-hidden curve of a cheek but she did not dare to do so for fear her mother would strike her her mother was very jealous on that point she loved her daughter to kiss her and stroke her hands and her face but she never liked her to play at being the mother nor had she ever encouraged her daughter in the occupations of a doll she was the mother and mary was the baby and she could not bear to have her motherhood hindered even in play chapter six although mary make-believe was sixteen years of age she had not yet gone to work her mother did not like the idea of her little girl stooping to the drudgery of the only employment she could have aided her to obtain that was to assist herself in the humble and arduous toil of charring she had arranged that mary was to go into a shop a drapery store or some such other but that was to be in a sometime which seemed infinitely remote and then too said mrs make-believe all kinds of things may happen in a year or so if we wait your uncle patrick who went to america twenty years ago may come home and when he does you will not have to work dearie nor will i or again some one going along the street may take a fancy to you and marry you things often happen like that 
there were a thousand schemes and accidents which in her opinion might occur to the establishment of her daughter's ease and the enlargement of her own dignity and so mary make-believe when her mother was at work which was sometimes every day in the week had all the day to loiter in and spend as best she liked sometimes she did not go out at all she stayed in the top back room sewing or knitting mending holes in the sheets or the blankets or reading books from the free library in capel street but generally she preferred after a few hours which served to put the room in order to go out and walk along the streets taking new turns as often as she fancied and striking down strange roads to see the shops and the people there were so many people whom she knew by sight almost daily she saw these somewhere and she often followed them for a short distance with a feeling of friendship for the loneliness of the long day often drew down upon her like a weight so that even the distant companionship of these remembered faces that did not know her was comforting she wished she could find out who some of them were there was a tall man with a sweeping brown beard whose heavy overcoat looked as though it had been put on with a shovel he wore spectacles and his eyes were blue and always seemed as if they were going to laugh he also looked into the shops as he went along and he seemed to know everybody every few paces people would halt and shake his hand but these people never spoke because the big man with the brown beard would instantly burst into a fury of speech which had no intervals and when there was no one with him at all he would talk to himself on these occasions he did not see any one and people had to jump out of his way while he strode onwards swinging his big head from one side to the other and with his eyes fixed on some place a great distance away once or twice in passing she heard him singing to himself the most lugubrious song in the world there was another a long thin black man who looked young and was always smiling secretly to himself his lips were never still for a moment and passing mary make-believe a few times she heard him buzzing like a great bee he did not stop to shake hands with anyone and although many people saluted him he took no heed but strode on smiling his secret smile and buzzing serenely there was a third man whom she often noticed his clothing seemed as if it had been put on him a long time ago and had never been taken off again he had a long pale face with a dark moustache drooping over a most beautiful mouth his eyes were very big and lazy and did not look quite human they had a trick of looking sideways a most intimate personal look sometimes he saw nothing in the world but the pavement and at other times he saw everything he looked at mary make-believe once and she got a fright she had a queer idea that she had known him well hundreds of years before and that he remembered her also she was afraid of that man but she liked him because he looked so gentle and so there was something else he looked which as yet she could not put a name to but which her ancestry remembered dimly there was a short fair pale-faced man who looked like the tiredest man in the world he was often preoccupied but not in the singular way the others were he seemed to be always chewing the cud of remembrance 
and looked at people as if they reminded him of other people who were dead a long time and whom he thought of but did not regret he was a detached man even in a crowd and carried with him a cold atmosphere even his smile was bleak and aloof mary make-believe noticed that many people nudged each other as he went by and then they would turn and look after him and go away whispering these and many others she saw almost daily and used to look for with a feeling of friendship at other times she walked up the long line of quays sentineling the liffey watching the swift boats of guinness puffing down the river and the thousands of seagulls hovering above or swimming on the dark waters until she came to the phoenix park where there was always a cricket or football match being played or some young men or girls playing hurley or children playing tip and tig running after one another and dancing and screaming in the sunshine her mother liked very much to go with her to the phoenix park on days when there was no work to be done leaving the great white main road up which the bicycles and motor-cars are continually whizzing a few minutes walk brings one to quiet alleys sheltered by trees and groves of hawthorn in these passages one can walk for a long time without meeting a person or lie on the grass in the shadow of a tree and watch the sunlight beating down on the green fields and shimmering between the trees there is a deep silence to be found here very strange and beautiful to one fresh from the city and it is strange also to look about in the broad sunshine and see no person near at all and no movement save the roll and folding of the grass the slow swinging of the branches of the trees or the noiseless flight of a bee a butterfly or a bird these things mary make-believe liked but her mother would pine for the dances of the little children the gallant hurrying of the motor-cars and the movement to and fro of the people with gay dresses and coloured parasols and all the circumstances of holiday End of section three.